We're going to be continuing on our sermon series, Two Stories, One Christmas, uh, with a reading from the book of Isaiah. It comes from chapter 40, verses 3 through 9. A voice is crying out, Clear the Lord's way in the desert. Make a level highway in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be flattened. Uneven ground will become level and rough terrain, a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear, and all humanity will see it together, because the Lord's mouth has commanded it. Go up on a high mountain, messenger Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger Jerusalem. Raise it. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Tim Power. I'm pastor of Modern Worship here at Salem, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here with us at this time. We're, we're in a season, and, and people call this a season of hope, and I hope I can convince you of that today, that this really is a season of hope, of anticipating that God is going to move in your life, that God is going to do something in your life to change the trajectory of where you are to take you from here to there. Now, uh, just, just as we start out, a quick question. By show of hands, who here likes to get surprised by your Christmas present? You like a surprise. Uh, and and by, by that, I mean you don't want to know what you're going to get, uh, and, and you just think it's so exciting to open something you have no idea about. Oh, okay, and by show of hands, the opposite. Who hates surprises? There's a smattering of people who hate surprises. How many people would prefer to pick it out themselves, order it on Amazon themselves, wrap it themselves, just have somebody else's credit card to do it? There are some of you out there. I'm not saying you have control issues because I'm afraid of you, but you might have some control issues. A while back, I was, I was marrying a couple. I'm trying to make sure they're not here today. Um, so I was marrying this couple, and the first time we, we usually get together for several premarital sessions where we talk a little bit, uh, not just about their ceremony, but just about them and about what marriage means, what, what, what it really is, and then what that commitment looks like, that covenantal relationship. And also, I just want to get to know them. So I was asking the couple to describe themselves. The groom talked about how he was a planner. He talked about how he was really meticulous, really organized. The bride said that she was spontaneous. She loved loved surprises. And in response to that, the groom said it, and I quote, I hate surprises. So uh, one of the later sessions, we're getting together, and uh, the bride showed up a little bit early, uh, or the groom was held up for, for some reason. They weren't together, and the bride got there, and she was so excited. She was so excited. And I was like, well, why, why are you so excited? And she said, because um, you know how we were planning to go to the Bahamas? Because the groom had actually already planned out their trip, their honeymoon. It was in the Bahamas. He had everything booked. He had all of the excursions booked. And she said, I canceled all the plans. We're going to Honolulu. And I can't wait to see his face when I tell him. And I was like, do you think that's a really good idea? And she said, we love surprises. They're, they still got married, just so you know. They stay married. It wasn't that long ago, but yeah, they stayed married. So the thing is, we, we, 
expectations are really important things. Um, whether you love surprises or you hate surprises, one thing is universal. We hate it when things don't live up to our expectations. Can I get an amen? I think everybody here at some point in your life, after some really important event, maybe it was a wedding, maybe it was a vacation, maybe it was a holiday celebration, I'll bet everybody here at some point in your life, after something was disappointing, said, it's just not what I was expecting. Can you relate to that? It just wasn't what I was expecting. Well, I would venture to guess that as we find ourselves at the end of 2019, there are many people in this place that if I were to ask you, how was your year, and you were really going to be honest with me, you'd say, it just was not what I was expecting. It's just not what I was expecting. Maybe, maybe you didn't expect to lose your job in 2019. Maybe you didn't expect that you'd be facing down a divorce in 2019. Maybe you didn't expect a diagnosis that you got from your doctor in 2019. Maybe you just say, it wasn't what I was expecting. Now, expectations are actually really important to us. Uh, in the 1960s, there was this landmark study about expectations, which was really, really interesting. Um, uh, the, the experiment went something like this. I know I'll get some details wrong. But basically, they, uh, the researchers had a bunch of undergraduate students working with mice. And they, with one group, they told them, your mice are gifted mice, like Mickey Mouse gifted mice. Okay, so these mice are really smart. And they had them, the undergraduates, train the mice to do certain actions. And then they had another group, and they said, your mice, not the smartest mice. And, they told, and then they had them train the mice as well. And guess what? None of the mice were really gifted or not gifted. They were all the same, okay? But in the end, those who thought that they were working with gifted mice, those mice performed better on all of the cognitive tests. Why is that? Expectations. They expected it. There was another study. They basically, uh, a couple years later, did that same study, but this time with with. Uh, with uh, I believe it was with first graders, which is not easy because they can't quite fit into the mouse cage. I'm waiting for the laughter. Um, that was a joke. They redid this, though, with children. And in this study, the same thing happened. They said some of these children scored really high on IQ tests. None of the kids had actually taken an IQ test. But when they told the, research, when they told the undergraduates who were working with the kids that they had kids that were gifted, they said they, were, uh, they, they had high potential to bloom, those kids ended up doing much better on the test. Here's, here's what's important about that. It tells us that expectations can actually shape reality that your expectations can shape your world around you. Well, we're continuing our sermon series today. The sermon series that we're in is called Two Stories, One Christmas. We've been talking about there's, there's two Christmas stories in the Bible, the accounts of Jesus' birth in Matthew and also the account in Luke. As I said in previous week, weeks, it's a really profound thing that we actually have two different perspectives on the birth of Jesus because perspective matters. Perspective matters because being able to see something from different vantage points, being able to see it from a unique vantage point, helps us to understand the story of Jesus coming to earth to be our Savior 
it makes it that much more profound to see it from different points of view. Today, I want to explore the coming of Jesus that had been prophesied, it had been foreseen, it had been foretold, but it was just not how anyone was expecting. It was just not how anybody was expecting. In fact, the more deeply that I read Scripture, the more I start to understand, and I'm, I'm just still dipping my toes into Scripture, and the more I read it, though, and know about God's story, the more I see that God does things in ways that I'm not expecting. God always does things in ways that I'm not expecting. There's a pastor named Matt Chandler, and he has an interesting way of talking about it. He says that God's economy is different than our economy. Now, he's not talking about dollars and cents. What he's talking is about God's way of operating is totally different than our way of operating. See, in our economy, the rich are blessed, right? If you're blessed, you've got a lot of money. But in God's economy, what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are the poor. In our economy, the strong survive. The smartest guys in the room are going to be the most successful. Whoever fights their way to the top will be king of the hill. But in God's economy, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is what theologians call the upside-down kingdom. Now, the Christmas story is really no different. The Old Testament has numerous prophecies about the coming Messiah— so while a Messiah was expected, the way that our Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to us was just not what anybody was expecting. They were probably expecting a powerful man arriving on, scenes with, arriving on the scene with all the trappings of power. They were expecting somebody with money, somebody with power, somebody with political influence, maybe physical strength, and what they got, think about this, what they got was a little child, weak and helpless. See, God is always fulfilling his promises in unexpected ways. God is always fulfilling his promises in unexpected ways. Now, earlier, Pastor Sean read this passage from Isaiah, which is a messianic prophecy. The particular pa passage is not prophesying, though, about the coming of Jesus. It's prophesying the coming of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin who will grow up to be an influential preacher, whose purpose for preaching, though, is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, to get people ready for the good news that Jesus is going to be preaching. Now, a real quick word about messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. As, as Christians in 2019, we kind of sit in this privileged position when we look back on the whole Bible, when we look on the prophecies in Isaiah and Malachi, we say, whoa, look, they're talking about Jesus. It says a child will be born, a baby born of a young woman in Bethlehem. And it's easy to say, how could anybody back then have not known that this was the coming of the Messiah? How could they be so blind? They had the scriptures. It's so, obviously, it's so obvious that the prophets were talking about Jesus. Well, see, that's not exactly true. See, we've grown up looking at all of these scriptures as one story, starting from Adam, leading up to Jesus, but that is certainly not how the Jews of the first century would have read the scripture. In fact, most of the Old Testament mess messianic prophecies were not actually talking about Jesus when they were written. See, the prophets of the Old Testament, they, they weren't fortune tellers, okay? They didn't read your palms, they didn't look into crystal balls. 
Uh, Pastor Adam Hamilton has an interesting way of saying the mission of the Old Testament prophet. And I think this is kind of a profound thought. He says that the, the mission of the Old Testament prophet was to comfort the oppressed and oppress the comfortable. It was to comfort the oppressed and oppress the comfortable. Usually the Old Testament prophets were calling the leaders of Israel to change their evil ways. In most cases, the prophets were calling the Israelites to stop sinning and to stop serving other gods. Stop sinning and stop serving other gods. And if they didn't stop sinning or serving other gods, they would be defeated by other nations and dragged off into exile. And that prophecy came true several times. That actually happened. But, but while prophets were predicting doom and gloom, even in those times, they were always comforting the oppressed in Israel. They were always comforting the oppressed of Israel. They always were reminding God's people of two big ideas. I want you to get this. Two big ideas that the prophets of the Old Testament always reminded the people of Israel. One was that God is with you. And two is that God always keeps his promises. God is always with you and God always keeps his promises. Now I want to tie together what what Sean read a little bit earlier with a passage from Luke. Okay, this is a passage from Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 5. It says this. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant. And they both were very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. And an angel from the, from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord equipped with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. And he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready, remember I said this earlier, that his job is to prepare the way. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, I don't know about you, if I was totally freaked out and this angel came and prophesied something, I'd probably just nod my head, but that's not what Zechariah does. He says, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel, I stand in the Lord's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the days that these things happen. But, uh, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. 
When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Then he realized he had, been, he had seen a vision in the temple, for he had gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he, when he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. And afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months saying, this is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among other people. Now, I love this story of Zechariah. I love this story. He's a priest. He's married to Elizabeth. Now, um, if you've heard the story, you might be aware that Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, as in Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, we're told that they were very old at this time. They have no children. Now, here's what I love about this story. Zechariah is a priest. We're told he's fulfilling his priestly duties, and he's going into the inner sanctum of, this, of, of the, the Holy of Holies uh, in the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but I would imagine if there was a place, if there ever was a place, that you would encounter something supernatural, that you would encounter God in some powerful way, wouldn't you think it would be in the Holy of Holies in the temple? Probably, and yet in this story, when Zechariah encounters something, when he encounters an angel of God in the Holy of Holy, in the Holy of Holies, he's freaked out. He's freaked out. How often is this me? How often is this me? I come to church and I don't expect to encounter God. Anybody else? I come to church and I don't expect that God is going to reveal something life-changing to me. I don't expect that God is going to change the trajectory of my life in some way. Is that true about anybody else here? It just becomes this habit. And Zechariah was just in the habit of doing good stuff, God stuff, but not expecting for God to come and encounter him in some powerful way that was going to change his life forever. And then the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Now remember, they're getting up in age, and that baby is going to be one who prepares the way for the Messiah. Now, all of this was not what Zechariah was expecting, right? None of this is what he was expecting. In fact, he had the gall to call out the angel of God and tell him why none of this could happen. My wife's too old. None of this can happen. And, and he, he actually is questioning the angel. And the angel actually strikes him uh, with, with a mute tongue. So he couldn't talk. An anybody wish they had that power in conversation? When you get some talk back, just There. So, so he strikes him with a mute tongue. But what he says before that, I think that these are words that I need to hear sometimes. They're words that somebody in this room needs to hear today. He says this, Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. As I said, many of us in this room today are at the end of 2019. We are not where we expected to be. We're not where we expected to be. And I think God has a message for you this morning. It's the same message that he was telling through the prophets for hundreds and hundreds of years that God is with you and God always keeps his promises. That God is with you and that God always keeps his promises. Now, we are in a season of hope right now. Um, and as Christians, we are people of hope. Did you know that? Did you know that's part of the package? 
As Christians, we are people of hope because we hold on to the hope even when nothing goes as it's expected to go because we know that in God's economy, we can expect the unexpected. In fact, we count on the unexpected. See, it was unexpected that the Savior of the world would be born as a helpless baby. That he would grow up not to be a king, but actually he would grow up to be a humble carpenter. That was totally unexpected. That he would one day save his people, actually not by charging into battle with his sword raised, but actually by surrendering himself to die on a cross. See, that's not what anybody was expecting, but that's a promise kept. It's not what anybody was expecting, but that's a promise kept. Now, you can trust in God's promises even if they end up looking different than you expected. Even if they're different than you expected. Now, in this holiday season, I want to invite you to pray a certain prayer that, that I've been trying to pray. I've been trying to pray this prayer. God, help me to find you in unexpected places. Help me to find you in unexpected places. Because we're all surrounded by things we weren't expecting. And we're told, because we're followers of a good God, that God is always with us, that God's promises always come true. It might not look what you were, look like what you were expecting it to look like. So can God give us eyes to see God, help me to find you in unexpected places. God, help me to find you in my unexpected job loss. God, help me to find you in that scary, unexpected diagnosis. God, help me to find you in the broken relationships in my family. God, give me eyes to see you in the unexpected. I'm going to share this verse from Romans. I I, I don't have it in our presentation, so you're just going to have to listen really closely. It's talking about the hope of Jesus Christ, this hope of a Savior. Because, you know, we, we talk a lot about the baby that's born, but that baby grew up to be a man. And that man died on a cross so that you and I would not have to die, so that you and I could have eternal life, that you and I could not only have eternal life, but that we could be free from sin in our lives. We could be free from the things that hold us back from what God really has for us. That is our hope. And Romans 8, 24 through 25 says this, for in this hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, this hope of a Savior who saved all of us, this hope of a Savior who can set you free from anything that's holding you back. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait patiently for it. That is hard to hear sometimes. That we have to hope for something we can't yet see. But we have a promise in our Savior. A promise that has been from old, preached into the future, preached into your life and my life from the prophets of old. That God is always with us. Remember that we used that word a couple weeks ago, Emmanuel, God with us. Best of all is this, God with us. And that God's promises always come true. I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage, and I'd ask you, if you would, to pray with me. And if you, need, if, uh, if you take home anything from this, 
sermon. I hope it's this simple prayer. God, help me find you in unexpected places. Lord Jesus, we come before you and so many of us are walking into the unexpected every single day. We're not necessarily where we wanted to be. So God, we're praying today, help us to find you in unexpected places. Help us to be able to hear your voice over the chaos. Help us to hold on to the hope, not for just the things that we see, but let us hold on to the hope, God, for what is unseen, for the promises that you've given us, Lord God. We thank you that you sent a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we could live not just eternal life someday, but God, live, lives of victory in the here and now. I pray that we could find you in that unexpected story. Give us eyes to see you in unexpected places, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.